All right, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to Crucible's Fire Friday Live. Um, just me again today. Tim's out working. Um, if you're out there watching today, um, please feel free to to chat, comments. Hopefully, we'll see them. I'm hoping to monitor this a little bit better today. Um, I just want to share some some things with you that's on my heart today. It's going to be a little different, not jumping into Romans 8 today. Um, don't know if anybody will ever actually even see this, but um, you know, we, I think we have two people that follow us, something like that. So you're out there, thanks. Um, just been spending some time in prayer this morning, kind of just about different things, where the ministry's at. Um, hey, Kevin, nice for you to... Nice of you to join us. Um, talking about where we're at, I don't know how things work with you, but my my ministry has always just kind of been an outpouring of what the Lord's doing in my own life and in my own walk. I don't really have anything to offer anybody um, other than what the Lord's doing. And there's been this pull lately um, in my own spirit, in my own heart, uh, just going to share it with you uh, a little bit. It's not heavy. I guess it can be, depending on what side of the of the situation you're on. But um, I, I've been stuck in John chapter really 14 through 17, some 13, and I can't seem to get out of it. And uh, it was, it's interesting. I was listening to some sermons online this morning, as is my, my custom, I like to listen to other other uh, folks. Hello, Miss Edna. Good to see you. Um, I how do I want to say this? It was affirming to me that the the spirit seems to be speaking. Now, I want to I want to make some confessions to you. Uh, I I guess in front of God and everybody. Um, all my life, I've really kind of struggled with this idea and this desire to be um, significant. Um, I think that's born out of a feeling of not being very significant. And there's a lot of history behind that, and uh, um, that, that's irrelevant. I don't even want to go down that road. But it's been difficult in my walk with the Lord to dealing with the fact that, that, that that's not what He calls us to. He doesn't call us to be significant. We are significant by His declaration, by His creation, by the fact that He came and He died for us. Um, and, and so to create significance in this world is really a, a goofy thing. I've been a pastor for, hey, Dr. Furlong, um, hello, Betty and Jimmy. I've been in the ministry for 25 plus years, been pastoring churches and been in every really conceivable area. And I want to just share with you today what my passion is. I want to share with you something from my heart, uh, that I think the Lord's doing. Now, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Um, I don't pretend to know the time or the day, but I'm looking around our world, and I just think that time is, hello, Miss Teresa. Um, I think time is growing short. I also look around the church in America and the Western world, and I'm saddened. I had a conversation this morning. Here's kind of where this is heading. Um, hey, Betty. Um, If I seem a little out of sorts today, it's it. My spirit's just kind of twisted up. So I want you to bear with me. Um, 
what we do at this ministry and what God's given me a passion for, always has in my entire ministerial life, is to, to teach and to train people to feed themselves. It's not my job as a pastor. It's not your pastor's job to be the only one that's speaking into and feeding into. Now, I know we have a teaching ministry. We, we do this little broadcast, but we are not a, a, to take the place of your church, your elders, your pastor, your teacher, whatever. Um, this is just supplemental, and people like it. They like it. They don't. They don't. But one of the reasons I wanted to start this ministry was because as a pastor, I noticed a pattern that people simply did not know how to study the Word of God for themselves. People expected to come to church and be fed like little baby birds, and they open our mouths and we get the drop in, and we don't spend a lot of time teaching people how to do it themselves. Now, I, I say that because I do believe that even if this is not the end times, a guy said to me this morning, just it's not about it being the end times. The way that we live and are sustained is through the Word and through the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God leading us into the truth of His Word, and it is that thing that people, in my experience, don't know how to do. And I believe it's critical. I want to just walk through some verses with you. This is not a formal Bible study. I, I preached on this a couple of times recently, and I literally can't get away from it. And so we had some things to cover today, but I mean, my heart is just burning. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk through some scriptures. I want you to hang with me, and I, maybe you'll see. And here's something that hit me in my morning devotion today. If you got your Bible there, go to John 13. I wasn't intending to be in John 13. I was doing some other study, and it got me to John 13. And um, I came across this verse that I've, I've read a million times. I've taught through it. You've read it. You've heard it. You've heard it taught through. And, and I've heard it taught well. But something just hit me this morning. In John 13 and verse 18, what's happening is Jesus is washing the feet. Um, you know, people say, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus knew he was about to die. <laughs> and when Jesus knew he was about to die, guess what he did? He washed people's feet, the ultimate symbol of service to them. But he also washed Judas's feet. The one that would betray him, Jesus washed his feet. It's my fleshly custom. <laughs> people don't have anything to do with me and they want to be my enemy. That's fine. I just don't care. But that's not what Jesus did. But then he said something that impacted me this morning. I don't know who's out there that needs to hear this. I needed to hear it. It may just be for me, so I'm sharing it with you. But down in verse 18, so that's what has happened. And he's explaining what the washing of the feet means and its significance. And he says this, I am not speaking about all of you. I know those who I have chosen. And for whatever reason, for the first time, that hit me right between my eyes. He's talking about, what, what, what is he saying? He says, I'm not speaking about all of you. I'm only speaking about some of you. Well, what is he speaking about them? If you back up to verse 16, he says, Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And he says, I'm not talking to all of you. In other words, I'm not the master of all of you. You know, you see those billboards, Jesus is Lord over this city or that city. 
Well, I think the argument could be made that Jesus was Lord over this gaggle of men. But he says, I'm not talking to all of you. And here's the truth that hit me this morning and in my devotion. You can be in the group. In our, our vernacular, we would say, you can be a member of the church in good standing. Because these cats were not only that, but they were a member of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, the twelve. And he says, I'm not talking to all of you. I know who I've chosen. And here's what got me. Judas. Now, I understand Judas was different. Judas was special. Judas was there to fulfill the scriptures, and it says that over and over again. I get that. But there's the fact and the truth that one could walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, live with Jesus, be around Jesus' people, be doing radical things in the name of Jesus, and Jesus isn't talking to him. It immediately made me go over to Matthew chapter 7, and I said this the other day when I was teaching. I can't get away from Matthew 7. And here's why. Guys, I'm just afraid that we've peddled a gospel that's not a biblical gospel. And it terrifies me. I listened to a sermon this morning, and the preacher said in there, he said, I just don't care what you think anymore. And it was in the context of him spending a great deal of his life worried about what people would say about him. And in this digital age, it's online. Everybody's going to remember it. For good or for, not probably not for good, but it's the ones that are for bad. And I've said this before, and I want to say it again. The gospel that we have been peddling in the Western world teaches something, but it teaches weird things that are not what the Bible teaches sometimes about the gospel. You just got to believe and come into this and say this little prayer. David talked about this at church the other day, and then we tell people you're fine. I want to read Matthew 7 to you. In verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. Enter into the narrow gate. So he's, he's given a directive. It's an imperative. Don't enter the wide gate. Enter the narrow gate. There's a connotation here that the narrow gate is the only way to get in, that the broad gate will not get you in. So enter at the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. The place where most people want to go and most play people do go leads to destruction. And we'll find out later in this text that a great deal of the people on this road to destruction are like Judas and they look like, sound like, appear to be, even in their own minds to their own detriment, on the narrow path. But he says they're not. He says, and there are many who go through it, verse 14. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. The reality that we could be spinning our wheels, propagating people traveling on the broad path to destruction, 
instead of pointing them to this difficult, narrow path, terrifies me. It terrifies me for me. We know that theologically salvation is not done by works. Salvation is by the grace of God, His electing favor. We know this. But at the end of Matthew chapter 7, He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Salvation's not by works, but works are a result of salvation. And we've built this world that has all of this stuff, and I guess for me and in our ministry, my passion is to go back to the, to the basics where he says, just do what I say. And there's no way to know what it is that he says if we don't get into the Word of God and study it. Because sometimes even the people that teach us the Word of God get it wrong. I get it wrong. How are we to know unless we're in the book? I'm reading through John 14. And in John 14, he says, and I preached this at my dead mom's church the other day, he says, I'm going away. In John 14 through 16, he talks about I'm going away and there's a counselor coming. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 17 of John 14, He is the Spirit of truth, and the world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him. And if you're a... If you're a church member of good standing, but you don't know the Holy Spirit when He comes to you, that's a terrible sign, regardless of your membership, regardless of your activity. The Bible says that, that we know Him because He's in us and He remains with us, and it says He will be in you. I just want to pick a few verses as we walk through this, this deal. In chapter 15, He talks about fruit. He says in verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me or abide, live, and it doesn't just mean keep doing good things. What that literally means is for anyone who doesn't get his absolute life and sustenance from who he is. That's what he's called us to. Guys, God did not call us, hey Brian, God has not called us to church membership. Although that's great. I am one, and I love it. Local churches are fantastic. They're taught in the Scriptures, and you should be a part of one. But that's not the end goal. The end goal, Jesus said, is not to put your name on a roll. The end goal is to give our lives for the Messiah. It's not about filling out a card. It's not about being in a ministry. It's not about anything but open-handedly opening our hands to everything, our homes, our lives, our jobs, our family, our very lives and existence. I saw a sermon title the other day that said, Stop Trying So Hard to Survive. And it spoke to me because I spend a lot of time trying to survive. I just want to be real and honest with you today. Trying to figure out how things are going to work and how our partnerships can be set up. We've got a huge ministry project before us right now. And I'm going to be honest, I've been spending, um, uh, hey, Denise, I've spent a lot of time 
working on how we can get strategic partnerships together to make this thing work. And I was in my devotion this morning, and honestly, I just kind of broke down. I was just crying um, because the Spirit of God was talking to me, and He was like, you know what? That's I didn't ask you to figure out everything. I told you to turn loose of everything, and you're doing the opposite of what I asked you to do. Do my commandments. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Take what you know, give it to other men so that they can pass it out. And, and I would say we give it to women as well. As you go through these passages, our Western world has called the church into this relationship with Jesus whereby we say that God's hand is moving, God's doing things for us. When the church is growing, everything's going good. We miss the accident. Um, we're saved through it. And we say, man, God's hand was on us. And I'm just compelled in my spirit to shout from the mountaintops that God is just as much in it when we are crushed and maybe more so because the scriptures have called us to suffering. Look what he says. He says in verse 18 and 15, if the world hates you, you understand that it hated me before it hated you. Then he says, however, a little bit later, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of this world, the world hates you. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Verse 21, but they will do all things, all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. It says in another spot that it says when they kill you, when, not if, but when, it says they're going to be convinced that they're doing it for God. But we've got this easy life that we, we want to draw people into, and I just it's just been weighing on me that whether this is the end times or not, the very life that we live in Jesus Christ has got to be spent at the feet of Him asking every day for every morsel, for every breath, relying on Him. And yet we're building empires in our own worlds. And I believe I can only speak for me that many times our worldly empires, they're just getting in the way of what God's called us to do, which is to die. The gospel is that. It's not feel sorry for your sin and hope to get to heaven. That's not the gospel. Hello, Donda. But what the gospel is, is he says, repent. That's what Jesus spoke. He said, repent. That means stop sinning and do something different. I sin all the time, as do you. But the difference is, is what is your reaction to that sin? We keep going in verse 16, talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. And just, just bear with me. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering service to God. That's what I was talking about a while ago. And they'll do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. He's warning his followers. He's not saying the church of Satan's coming for you. He said it's the religious ones that are coming for you. It's the ones who are on the broad path, who think they're on the narrow path, and I've said it before, the Bible says that the narrow path that leads to life is a difficult one. And if we're trying to sell a gospel that's not difficult, and it's difficult in that it requires us to give up everything, 
then we're not selling the gospel. We're not telling that selling is not a good word. Then we're not proclaiming the gospel of the Bible. And he says, when you do, they're coming for you. And they're going to trample you. They're going to kill you. And they're going to do it because they think they're serving me. But he says, it's because they haven't known the Father or me. They can be religious and not know who Jesus is. He says later, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Guys, somebody asked me the other day, why do we do what we do? The reason we do what we do is because we passionately, passionately want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, like Ephesians 4 says. What we do in our Bible study training is so ridiculously simple. I told a guy this morning, I'm embarrassed. I'm going to be honest with you. Just, I'm just sharing my heart with you. This will not be one of our popular podcasts. I'm embarrassed of a couple of things. Number one, I'm embarrassed that Christians don't know how to study the Word of God. I'm even more embarrassed that we as pastors over the years have not taught people how to study the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying everybody. I'm just saying in my experience. We've taught people how to invite people to church. We've taught them how to come to events. We've taught them how to come to potluck. we taught them how to have accountability groups. But we've not taught them how to get into the Word of God, get alone with God, and just seek His face and find out who He is. Because I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. Are we afraid that, that, that they're going to do better than us or that they're going to take our position? Maybe we should open-handedly give up our positions. Maybe. In favor of knowing Him. Because I don't have to worry about somebody who's in the book. Because the Bible says the Spirit will lead them into all truth. So if I can get someone in the book they're probably not going to understand everything just right at first. And maybe we'll even disagree on something. There are some great men and women of God out there and that we disagree on things here and things there, but I know the Spirit of God is in them. So as he's teaching them this, and I want to walk through here, because as he's teaching them about this and in this section, he says they're going to be persecuted. He says the Spirit's coming. The Spirit's going to lead you into all truth, going to declare to you what's to come, and, and all of these things. And then he gets over into chapter 17. And Jesus starts praying. If you want to know how to pray, watch Jesus pray. There are some things in John 17 that when I look at the Western church stress me out. Because we're really busy making sure that we're not associated with this person or that person, this group or that group. We have been for decades. This is not new. And it is the antithesis, the opposite of what Jesus called us to do. 
He says in his word in John 17, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, which he always does. Since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him, this eternal life, or this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent. We've gotten caught in this weird cycle of just telling people, you just need to get saved and then hang on for the rapture. God's going to suck us out of here. There'll be a rescue. We won't have to go through anything bad. Just trust in Jesus and everything's going to be okay. That's, you'll have eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is not something in the future where we string a bunch of days together playing harps and doing our favorite hobby. Eternal life is knowing the Creator. He said, Son, and the Son came into being. And He said the very essence of that, which is Jesus, was going to go and the Spirit was going to come. That Spirit that holds atoms together is going to live in us and abide with us. And it says if we'll obey His commandments, it says He and the, Jesus and the Father will make their home with us, will abide with us, will come stay with us. That power, according to Acts chapter 1, will come to live in us. Verse 6, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given is from you. Because I have given them the words that you gave me. They've received them and have known for certain that I, am, that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. That's the pivotal thing. I, wrote in, I, I did jot down a couple little notes for the day, and I got two questions. Is number one, do you really believe that Jesus is who he said he was? And if you want to say, oh, yeah, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I believe, hey, Susan, I believe that, that Jesus is who he says he was. My next question to you is this. Do you really believe what he said? I can't hear you. Feel free to chat in the chat if you want. It's almost a rhetorical question. I've said it a thousand times. Everybody likes the idea of following Jesus. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm included. But when it comes down to doing what he said to do, which was to give our lives for him, that doesn't just mean martyrdom. That means every resource we have, everything is his to give it for his mission and his goal. Are we willing? In verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. Remember what we read in John 13? When he was with his little group and he said, I'm not speaking to all of you. I'm only speaking to those that are mine. He reiterates that same thought here. He says, I'm not praying for the whole world. He said, right now, I'm praying for the ones that you gave me. Verse 10 says, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Now, here's the question we've got to answer, guys. He said, make my children 
one like we're one. This is Jesus talking. Make them one together in unity like Jesus and the Father are together in unity. Here's my question. Are we unified like that? Or are we too busy worrying about the fact that we can't be associated with this one or that one or who's going to get credit or who's going to get this? He said, the thing I want to pray for them, I'm not going to pray for the world. I'm going to pray that they'll be one and in community with one another. And then they're going to show that I came from you. That's what Jesus is saying. Because the belief that Jesus came from God is what will save the souls of men. And to per perpetuate that belief, we've got to be in unity with one another around the Holy Spirit of God, His Word, and His truth. Verse 20 says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me. Like today, you and me. We've believed on Jesus through the word of the apostles, through the book that we read about them in the Bible. And he says that they, may, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. In 1 John, I'll leave you with this, chapter, what is it, 3, verse 10. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. I'll stop reading there for a second. John says in 1 John 3, 10, it is obvious. It's obvious. I'm going to say it again. It's obvious. The children of God and the children of the devil. What I find striking is, is that in Matthew chapter 7, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't obvious to them on the broad path. But they got to the end. But look, God, we did this, we did that, we did this, we cast out demons, we preached. They're varsity-level Christian church members. And he says, I don't know you. Depart from me. John says in 3.10, it is obvious, and here it is. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. What I wanted to share with you simply today was just my heart is heavy for my own walk. I want him to have everything. And sometimes we hold on to it so tightly he has to rip it out. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. He didn't just call us to religious activity. Folks, he called us to die. To not love our life. Read the book of Revelation. We're not supposed to love our lives unto death. And meaning, we're not supposed to love it so much that we would avoid it. Whatever it takes, whatever it means to be a follower of Jesus. And as he said earlier, when the religious crowd comes after you, because you're seeking the things of God, because you're seeking unity, because it's not the way it's been done, because it's not in our group, it's not in our denomination, it's not the way... I honestly don't give a rip 
Why do we, we're having a how to study the Bible training coming up. Yep, there's a shameless plug coming up in November 12th and 13th. We'll start about four o'clock on Friday. We'll go all day on Saturday after breaking for night. I want to share this truth with you. We have tried and tried and tried to get American churches to, to let us come in free of charge and do this to train their people how to study the Bible for themselves. And it's been tough. You would be surprised, maybe you wouldn't, how difficult it is to have people buy into the idea of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. But if you're a leader of any sort, for sure, if you're just a believer in Christ, this is for you. Somebody asked me this morning, who's this thing for? It's for anybody. Anybody and everybody that wants to, instead of just doing a quiet time, which is great and fine, do it, I do it. But if you want to take it down into deeper study, to equip yourself, to feed yourself, especially if you're teaching, especially, and that means if you're just teaching your family. Let us show you. Go to our website, thecrucibusfire.org. There's a big picture. Just click the picture, fill out the sign-up form. We'll get your materials ready. But Jesus has called us into something radical and crazy. He's called us to open our hands, to give everything, even our lives. And then he says, you'll be able to tell my children from their fruit, those that are keeping my commandments. And if you don't know his commandments, how will you keep them? Say, so, well, I've got a, this person or that person that teaches me. That's great and that's fantastic. I hope they keep it up. But remember the Bible said about the Bereans that they were more noble than the rest because they searched the scriptures diligently every day to see if what they were hearing was true. I heard Francis Chan say recently that every, he was talking in a sermon, he said, everybody now has got a voice. Everybody thinks that everybody else wants to hear what they have to say. You got a Twitter, you got a TikTok, you got a this, you got a that. I'm no different. You do it, I do it. I have, I have lots of opinions, and I think you need to hear them sometimes. And the truth is, is nobody needs to hear anything that I have to say. But everybody needs to hear what he has to say. And the problem is, is because everybody's got a voice, it's hard to know which voices are echoing and repeating what it is that the Lord has shown us. I see in this day and time in which we live right now, whether it be the end times or not, the very way that we live and breathe and move in the Spirit is studying this book and listening and getting in touch with the Holy Spirit of God so He can lead us into all truth, not just the truth of our situations and when He begins to throw us into the air with the winnowing fork and when the, the threshing begins to happen, not just then, but just every day of knowing what in the world is true and what is false. We want to teach you. We want to help you. Right now we're working on helping the pastors in Mexico do the same thing, to help them set up where they can teach others. We're already in the third generation. If you want to help us get on board with that, go right ahead. Uh, hit the website. Hit the donate button. We'd be, we'd be glad to partner with you. But we're going to do it. God's going to do it. God's asked us to do it. He's going to take care of it. I'm not concerned about that. But we think it's vitally important 
to put the sword of the Spirit in the hands of Christians in a way that has not been done. You know what's interesting to me, if you're still with us, this is interesting. When we started working on build, we're going to build an app. We've already got version one out there. We're working on a better polished version of it. And we want to make sure that people have Bible study software that you can use offline in case the internet goes down or if you live in a place, especially in Mexico, where they don't have internet. And you know what they told us? I, I mean, I'm talking to, I talked to the big guns on Bible study software. I've been talking to their marketing guys and their developers. I'm not even going to name all of them off because you would know them. I don't want to slander them. But they said, nobody's doing this. I said, what do you mean nobody's doing this? He said, everybody wants to sell their online products. There's nobody's really out there in the marketplace except for one. We found them and we partnered with them. That's Olive Tree Bible Software. That's their main goal is to make everything offline. And we're going to be using Olive Tree at our study. So if you're going to be coming, download the Olive Tree Bible app. Get your favorite Bible translation with Strong's numbers. We'll send out more information about that later. But they said, nobody's doing this. And it struck me. We have the words of life in our very hands. And we're not teaching each other how to rightly divide them. And I find, and yes, there's lots of online stuff out there. But, but I, I mean, we're, and we're providing lots of materials. But you would be shocked how many people we come in contact with that don't know how to study. And it's honestly not their fault. It's not your fault necessarily but Jesus has called us to something deeper than just going to church there's that's part of it he's called us into knowing who he is he's called us to eternal life and eternal life is knowing God so my question to you today is this how much time have you spent with him today in his word in prayer or are you just waiting for Sunday for somebody to do it for you he can't he can't vicariously approach the throne of heaven for you. He can't study the word for you. Yes, there's teaching. There's the office of teaching. There's the office of pastor. It is part of what we do. If you go to Ephesians 4, that's one of the gifts that God gave us, and it keeps us moving. I love listening to my pastor preach. I love it. It makes me a better follower of Jesus. But it's not enough. So I guess my appeal to you today ultimately is if you don't know how to study and you're seeing this go to our website i'll put it up can i put it up there i think i can there that's kind of up there it's the cruciblesfire.org there's a big picture on there that says how to study the bible workshop at the bridge fellowship church we're going to be doing it there we're going to be training some of our leaders there come join us if we get enough people we'll put it online we'll do a zoom call and we'll broadcast it, it won't cost you anything just come learn how to study his word so that the spirit through that word can lead you into all truth as the days unfold, as the things keep going forward. Because ultimately what we need is to know God because that is eternal life. I'm glad you kept to be with us today. Um, again, it was a little different. Um, just wanted to share my heart with you today about what God's been doing in my heart and the passion that I have for what we do is born out of the fact that I don't want anybody to miss this. And I think a lot of us in the church world have missed it for a long time. My plea to you is to know the one true God, not to know about him, not know where to find him, but to know him. And only you can answer that question.
Matthew 7 says, narrow is the way, and there are few that find it. I pray today that you are one of the few. We love you. We thank you. We appreciate you being here with us today on the broadcast um, as we help you learn, teach, repeat. We'll see you next week, and maybe Tim can be back uh, with us at that time. We'll see you later.